This is the Sea to Sky podcast with Alan, weaving through the issues in Sea to Sky country. Okay, welcome to another Sea to Sky podcast, and it's a beautiful day here in Whistler. I'm sitting in Blends Cafe in the middle of Whistler Village, and I'm sitting across from Larry Falcon, another candidate for Whistler Council. Larry, thanks for joining us. Thanks, Alan. You know, an absolutely beautiful day to be sitting here in the uh, cafe. It's, uh, we're very lucky. I also uh, want to comment that I'm sure you've sat with the majority of the 20 candidates so far. And it's I have not. Oh, I you have haven't? Not. Oh. I've, we've, we've covered all the Squamish candidates, but we're, we've been a little slower on getting on getting the wrestler people. So uh, you're, I think you're the fourth. Okay. Yeah. Well, I, I feel honored then because with 20 people running, uh, you know, I see it as a very nice uh, you know, indication of democracy is alive and well in Whistler. Right. Um, well, we did we did talk to Jack, uh, who is the acclaimed mayor, and you know I asked him this. I said, you know, you've got a lot of newcomers. There's only three incumbents, and you know maybe a lot of people. Now he's even before he ran for mayor. You know, even before he became councillor, he was very actively involved in politics. He went to all the meetings, and I asked him. I said, you know, you're going to be dealing with a lot of new faces potentially, maybe an entirely new slate, and are you worried about getting them up to speed? So, you know, I'm going to ask you, and I know you were asked this at the All Candidates meeting, you're a very business man, very busy man, you run your own business, Do you, are you worried about, you know, breaking off more than you can chew? No, uh, not at all. As a matter of fact, you know, before I threw my hat in the ring, you know, I looked very closely at you know, the changes I would have to make to my time management, and certainly there will be changes to it but uh, certainly not to the point that I cannot fulfill my duties or, or what's required of me. So in that respect, I'm very much looking forward to it. Uh, you know, I'm very fortunate. Uh, I like a challenge. Uh, you know, I'm uh, in it to win it, so to speak, but I also understand that you know, I need to ensure that I put enough time aside so I can be very effective in uh, sitting on council. Now, as, as we pointed out, it's a beautiful fall day, beautiful day in early October. Blends is full. By the way, I got a, another shout out to Blends for letting us, uh, Very. for hosting us to yes. my friend Wendy. Come down, have a coffee. Best coffee in town here at Blends. But it's a beautiful day. Village is full. You know, things look good. You know, it's, it's, a, it's a bright day for Whistler. But is it? Is it a bright future for Whistler? Do you see? You know, what are the major roadblocks you see ahead? You know, it's, it's a beautiful day. It showcases Whistler like you couldn't believe, and we couldn't have it happen on a more opportune time. You know, the town is packed. Uh, a lot of people in for Thanksgiving, uh, for the turkey sales, of course. And uh, we've got a lot of issues you know, that are already down the pipe. They're sitting at our feet that need to be addressed, and they need to be addressed you know, right now. Uh, and uh, unfortunately, I look at council, and they've been focusing a lot on stuff down the road, and that's not a bad thing because we do need to have that uh, you know, long-range vision, but we also need the short term. And so when I look at issues that are staring us in the face and need to be fixed right now, you know, one of them, one of the huge ones, you'll hear is people talking about your know, housing crisis, and my response to that is. We don't have a housing crisis per se. We have a lot of people, let me rephrase that, 
I have a lot of projects that are in the pipe that are going to very nicely manage you know, the mid-level and the high-level uh, incomes for people in town. So that's the you know, two bedrooms, three bedrooms, one bedrooms. But what we really have a crisis on is the low-income staff rental accommodation and that's not being addressed and that's the ones whereby you know they're here for a year they're here for two years they've got a work visa you know they're the ones they're here to ski but they need a job to allow them to do that and uh, you know I've had staff in the past last winter great example 900 bucks a month they're in a bunk four bunks to a room there's four rooms in the house that are all outlined the same way that's just not livable for my staff, let alone any staff. So what we need, and we need it now, not five, ten years down the road, is the modular style housing that they're building down in Vancouver. It's quick to build, it's clean, it's um, uh, you know, durable, but it would allow those uh, staff that come to town you know, to pay 500 bucks a month because that's what you need to pay if you're going to survive in this town doing the basic jobs that we see in our grocery working stores. Working in the service industry, yeah, or working in retail. You're not going to make enough money to, to have a $2,000 studio apartment, which is what studios go for in Whistler. Very um, much. Okay, and so modular housing is, is a way to sort of, you know, like you say, we can't build a big staff, new staff building overnight. But the thing is, who's going to pay for the modular housing? Now, Black Home Whistler paid for staff, yep. so who's going to pay for this? Well, I, I would look like you know, uh, VWB, uh, you know, I think it should be you know, private uh, money involved, not uh, you know, risking our taxpayers' dollars. Now, that means that you know, as a municipal government, we have to incentivize the developers to be able to build, but you do that either through uh, your tax breaks uh, that you extend down the road uh, so that they want to come in and build it. You know, now, naturally, a developer wants to come in private, and of course, they expect to make a profit. That's not a bad thing. What we want to ensure, though, is that the building gets done so that the rents that are charged are affordable for the people that it's directed to. So rather than us risking taxpayers' money, I'd like to see uh, you know, a partnership between the municipality and the developers to get that done and get it done quickly, on time and under budget. Okay, but you're talking about building an actual staff building. Are you talking, or, or are you talking about the modular housing, or are you talking about the developer putting in the modular housing as part of an amenity, as a stepping stone while they build that permanent building? Is that? It's, it's, that's exactly how I see it. So it is a stepping stone. It's not permanent. You know, the modular housing is that. You know, more permanent. Uh, you know, structures, uh, buildings get put in place, we then remove that modular housing. And we've got some excellent land that we can do that with that's not being utilized. Would that utilized. be Checkmas Crossing, do you think, or would it be somewhere else? No, I think we've got, uh, if we look at the old works yard just above Alta Vista, uh, that's 12 acres of property that is uh, sitting, uh, you know, right now it's just got a bunch of pallets on it with tile. And, uh, you know, when I look at, you know, excellent location, walking to the village which is where most of the jobs are it's also right on the bus uh, you know, uh, transit system so you know, they step down to the highway you know they're into the village it's a really nice location and rather than putting five-story buildings into Nordic they should be putting those five-story buildings into that uh, space that I'm referring what is the thing behind that because that's already closer to the existing density of the village is that is that what you're thinking 
I'm thinking that for two reasons. Yes, if you put all the housing down and check on us, don't you then have to deal with how do you get those people into the village where the majority of the jobs are? We've already got growing transportation problems, right? We've got, you know, that's, you know, it's funny you mentioned that, and I'm not going to get sidetracked dead on it, but that's a, a, another thing that we need to fix right now. Yeah. Uh, but back to your uh, original question, you know, that space that's available, that 12 acres, is perfectly located to put that type of housing in place. It's not interfering with existing neighborhoods. Yo, it's not, uh, yo, it eliminates the whole NIMBY aspect, and uh, yo, it's an area that we can utilize. Is right that municipal now. land, though? That's munis municipal land. I see, okay. Yeah. So you're talking about uh, attracting a developer and, and doing these steps, start with modular housing and then do the development. What about, and, and I'm just throwing this out there, I don't even you know bet. if yeah, this do is feasible. It. What about if we go, all these businesses right now, I mean, they're scrambling to find employees for, you know, this winter. Yep. And and even even if they pull out all the stops, they're still going to be underemployed. And it's and it's going to be the same things, and it's going to go right into summer, because the summer season's about as busy as the winter season now. We barely even have a shoulder season in the spring anymore. We barely even have a shoulder season in, in October now, yep. it's looking like. So we're going to be continually underemployed. Would it be feasible to go to the business businesses and establish some sort of fund and say, look, we've got this municipal land, we want to put modulars in there, yep. we all contribute a certain amount. And I know, listen, I used to be a small business operator. I know a lot of these people are working at thin margins and it's, yep. it's not easy to go to them for money. But it, would it be possible to establish a fund as sort, almost an emergency fund to put in modulars and, and create employee housing? It's an interesting concept, Alan, uh, and certainly one that uh, you know, is worth exploring. Um, you know, I look at that and I think, okay, you know, certainly for a lot of the you know, true small businesses, you know, it would be difficult for them to pony up a lot because yeah. they are if running. If anything, they're yeah. running pretty thin, I know. So for really what we're talking about is more the medium-sized to larger-sized businesses in town. And I think it could really work if, and this is you know, a key aspect, if their uh, participation you know, allows them you know, um, guaranteed housing for their staff, and maybe that's based on the value of dollars that they put into the, uh, the fund. Uh, I think that there would there would certainly be uh, some good interest in it. I know there's a lot of businesses, in, including ours, that you know, really struggles to find good quality staff because the staff, you know, the people are there, they want the jobs, they just can't find the housing. Yeah. And, you know, and, and so they come, I've seen it numerous times, it's only going to get worse, unfortunately, until we can fix this real short-term problem. But they come, you know, they're key for a job, people say to them, we'd love to hire you, come back when you get housing. And so they run around trying to find housing, they can't get they can't housing. They can't find anything, yeah. Not, not, I've, that's I've, within their budget. Yeah, I mean. And so they leave. And so yeah. now we look at uh, you know, all of our grocery stores, you know, they're closing delis down, they're closing, you know, they got two people on cash because they can't get the staff in. The IGA here has got 65 staff right now and they should have 120. You know, it's, that's how bad it is. And so there's a lot of businesses, restaurants in town that are running things really shoestring because they can't find that. So your idea is a good one. And it's certainly worth discussing. I think anything is worth discussing if it can help us come to a solution 
faster, you know, now, not five, ten years down the road. And maybe that is, you know, getting, you know, buying a, a camp of echo trailers, putting it on that land that I just discussed, you know, the old workshop, so that we've got something that can house people now. And then that's a temporary solution that you phase out as more of that development comes on board and comes into place and you take those people and you put them into uh, you know, the, the more permanent housing and you take away that temporary uh, aco-trailer solution. Right, because, and, and, and I, the stepping stone approach also seems, to my mind, logical because as some of the other councillors were pointing out at the All Candidates meeting, um, you may have been one of them. I, you know, I can't remember. It was three hours long. Yes. Yeah. But you know, there is some risk in doing a massive development at Checkmiss Crossing, and you know, there, it's not inconceivable that we could run into another 2008-2009, where actually here in Whistler it actually happened after the Olympics, but another housing downturn, yeah. and all of a sudden we're straddled with uh, a big development we can't sell, can't rent, and we're on the hook for a forty million dollar bond. No one can foresee the future, unfortunately. I wish we could It'd make our jobs a lot sure, easier. Sure, make everyone's job a lot easier. It might be, might be a more boring life, but yeah. It would certainly be a more boring life. It's kind of nice that life is a roller coaster, per se. But in this situation, right now, if we look at our waiting list for WHA housing, you know, it is substantial. What they're bringing on board <coughs> will allow us to, you know, really get that waiting list down. So I'm comfortable with what's in the pipe. I think what they've got coming is good. I think they're putting it into good areas. You know, it will allow the people that have really made an effort to stay in Whistler to continue to you know, put the roots into the ground and be able to stay here 10, 20, 30, 40 years down the road. I like what's there. The problem is, you know, as I've referenced, we need to do something now for that low-income you know, staff. And uh, so your ideas are good. Uh, you know, do I worry about uh, the housing crisis or, or you know, potentially a downturn in the market? Real estate will always go up. There's always a demand for it. In Canada, you know, we're, we're a country of you know, 37 million and there's a lot of people that want to live here. Will we have a downturn on our real estate market? You bet. It's going to happen. When? I have no idea. But that's just the cyclical nature of it. So if we do go into a downturn, yes, we may be sitting on some surplus housing, but that will always turn around and then all of a sudden we need that housing. So I'm comfortable with what you know, we're doing you know, long term. Yeah. I think you know, it's, we're not overbuilding. We don't have too much in the pipe. Okay, and now just to switch gears a bit, now we touched on transportation, something that you seemed uh, you wanted to jump into, so I'll give you the, the opportunity. Transportation, what can we do to solve the regional transportation uh, problem? Because while we need housing in, in Whistler, uh, the, the, the answer is that we've got a lot of commuters coming from Squamish, we've got commuters coming from Pemberton, we got a lot of uh, weekend visitors, even you know, more all the time coming up from the city, and the highway's getting clogged. You know, our brand new high, or fairly brand new highway, which was supposed to solve the traffic problem, is now clogged. So, what what can we do? Well, you know, your your opening question: What do we do to solve the transit issue? Yo, bottom yeah. line, money. Yeah, but, there you go. But yo, money's not readily available. So, yo, 
It's, it's a great question because there's a lot that needs to be done to fix that, especially when we talk regionally. I'm going to talk locally for a moment, though, and then we'll touch back on yeah, the re regional yeah. aspects of it. You know, with all that building that they're putting down in Chequemus, that's creating, has created, let's be realistic, a real choke point right now between Function and Creekside. So, you know, my brother built a fabulous highway that gets us to function really smoothly, quickly, safely, and efficiently, and then, bam, you hit this choke yeah. point, and it takes you an hour to go from function to Creekside. And that's just going to get worse. And that's totally going to get worse. the big function development check Miss Crossing, there's going to be a ton of people down there. Very much And they're so. all trying to go up here. Yeah, and they're all trying to go up here. So, short-term, real quick solution, short term they did it during the olympics it was easily done you three lane it and you run two lanes north in the morning and two lanes south in the afternoon so basically a counter flow i.e the Lionsgate bridge it's a effective low-cost solution that'll fix that choke point now today and um so that helps us short term longer term now when we're talking about transit as in you know, how do we get people from Squamish up into Whistler or people from Pemberton into Whistler? Now we're talking about really uh, you know, those two communities acting as you know, suburbs to Whistler to help fund and, and support our staffing levels. Then you need to look at, okay, transit. So now we're talking buses. And in regards to buses with the demise of you know, Greyhound um, in Western Canada, I think that opens up an opportunity for a lot of private businesses to look at stepping up and getting involved in that because there is a market for it. The problem for us to run, say, uh, BC Transit up and down, so far, you know, they've proven that you know it works provided you're running that just within those key hours, you know, 6 a.m., 7 a.m., 8 a.m., right? You run a bus up. And, and the buses that they're running right now, which I believe is only twice a morning, they're, they're full. But to try and run anything throughout the course of the day, you know, there's no riders on it. So then it right. becomes a money-losing proposition. So you know, I would like to, uh, I, I think regionally, you know, BC Transit should be able to maintain, should be able to grow those key hours. So that's morning hours to get people into Whistler. Uh, and from Pemberton and those evening hours where people are trying to get back down to Squamish and trying to get back out to Pemberton. In between that, I think we need to do look at uh, your private uh, your businesses to step into that fray and then provide you know, whether that's a ride share type of program to help get people up into town or to get them back into town. Um, I think that's a solution that would work you know, once again short term. Longer term, we need to look at the growth of the uh, of the valley, you know, the Sea to Sky corridor, and start planning for that. Because Squamish is growing by leaps and bounds; it's becoming very strongly a bedroom community for Vancouver. But it's also growing because of the people moving from Whistler to Squamish because of affordability. Now they need to be able to get back up here, and same with Pemberton. Right. Um, you know, I I knew Ted Nebling, uh, former mayor of. Uh, 
Whistler, great guy, uh, was very instrumental in developing both the original village and the new village, and he was also instrumental in bringing transit to Whistler. I can remember the days when the only way to get around if you didn't have a car was hitchhiking. And it was kind of like, you know, if, if you were a uh, Whistler local and you were driving, it was kind of like you had to pick up a hitchhiker. It was just part of your duty of living here. But he brought in transit and he got the province to pay for it. Now I realize, you know, the province isn't a bottomless pit of money and eventually, you know, at the end of the day, it's our money anyways. They're just going to tax us for it. Um, but I guess what always comes up when you say, let's go to the province and get them to pay for regional transit is uh, gas tax. Now I wonder, A, would you be in favor of a gas tax? And would you be worried that it might have a detrimental effect? Because it is going to raise the price of gas. The um the problem I have with the existing gas taxes is that it goes into general revenue and it's not going into specifically a regional transit uh, bank account, so to speak. Yeah. And, so, and I think there's a complaint that a lot of people have about that, yeah. Very much. And, yeah. and so, you know, I would say out of the gate, I'm extremely leery of it. I think if it was applied correctly, it's a great idea and it would have an impact. But they have to be able to, being the provincial government, because that would not be a municipal uh, tax flow, the provincial government has to take that stance that gas tax goes to pay for transit, not general revenue. And until that change is done, I think you'd see a tremendous amount of resistance in having a gas tax put in place in the Sea to Sky Corridor. Yeah, yeah, and I, I think that's a common refrain. I certainly hear that from people. It's, well, we have a gas tax, where's our transit? They don't see that it seems to be directly applied. Uh, yeah. They might be more open to it if they knew that here's what we're paying in gas taxes and here's what you're going to get in transit in return. Um, just to uh, move on a bit, I want to come back to housing for a second. Sure. Um, the WHA... They've talked about having a housing authority in Squash. Now, even in the Vancouver election, they're talking about having a housing authority. But up here, it's been imperfect. As counselor, you know, for new housing, employee housing developments, that's what I mean to the, the units that they purchase below market value. Yeah. What would you index that to? We need to uh, really you'll look at this very seriously because our leakage problem with WHA right now stands about 40%. And, and for those of you that aren't aware of what I'm referring to, that's 40% of the people within existing WHA would not uh, be applicable for ownership under the, our existing rules and uh, guidelines. You know, unfortunately, they've, they've bought their place, they were an employee at Whistler, and now maybe they've moved on and they've got a nice holiday home, which wasn't what it was intended for. And, and a lot of people bought them out of the gate and, you know, and you know, they're out of province and they rent them out to their friends who come in to ski in Whistler all winter long. You know, that's not the goal of the housing authority. So the problem now is that you know, there's very little we can do to get them out. Although I do believe we should have a means test, and and you know, certainly I drive around a lot of our you know, our WHA uh, uh, restricted uh, housing, and you know there's some beautiful speedboats and Porsche vehicles all sitting in the driveways, and that you know, tells me they should no longer be there. The idea of WHA is to use it as a, step, a stepping stone, so that you can get involved in the market. You're no longer paying rent out, which we see no return on. And then as your uh, income grows, as your family grows, as you partner up, you, know, you get a husband, wife, what have you, 
that now increases your income and now you'll hopefully you're able to get into your know, unrestricted housing freeing up that home for someone else the problem is we got a lot of people in there who you know, have way overstayed you know, the uh, restrictions that are in place to make employee housing available for the ones that need it and maybe there I'm gonna think outside the box you know maybe there what we say is uh, you know we you'll know, give them a letter and listen you know we see that you no longer really qualify for our um, you know, WHA restricted housing you know there's a five-year limit that we're giving you right now you know we ask that you look to move out and open your place up to the people that really need it so and that's just off the top of my head so don't get me wrong I haven't thought that through but it's a nice way of you know perhaps freeing up some housing that is restricted with people that shouldn't be in it any longer okay and getting back to strictly market housing what about raising the bed cap do you have do you, is there any is that a hard no is it a maybe or is it a, a hard yes where, where do you stand on that personally it's a hard no okay. but and I, I'm going to throw in it's a, a hard no with a maybe yeah no no the maybe is that you know I look at council being on council is that you're doing the wishes of the people and so you know, a lot of people have said you know we should have a discussion on it a community discussion and I would certainly support that because if the community feels that the bad unit cap is something that we need to expand or, or that we don't then we know how to proceed on it so if community says you bet we need to do that we need to increase it and I feel as a counselor we need to listen to the community and if that's the case then we need to increase it so my view on a lot of things really shouldn't come into play as to how we move council forward and what decisions are made that should be made by the community now you know as a, as a small business owner and perhaps you can speak to this more authoritatively than any of the other uh, or most of the other candidates that I've talked to is what can you do if anything as a counselor because you know a lot of these young families that are moving here or that are here already and getting established you know they've moved on from the service industry and they want to start their own type of service uh, business whether it's uh, a guiding business or it's a restaurant or a cafe whatever they're, they're trying to start small businesses yes what, so what can council do to make that process easier for them and to make it a more sustainable uh, venture for them if anything perhaps that's just not the uh, purview of the council no, council definitely has an impact, uh, Alan, as to how you know, we can support and grow a small business. I mean, you know, I look at it, it's a fantastic way for people to um, you know, risk, but we look at the tremendous successes we've had in town with some of our small businesses. You know, the green mustache just right across the way, or purebred just you know, a couple of doors up uh, of a stroll from us. I mean, these are very successful businesses that started out, you know, on a whim, and you know they've grown to succeed. So, what council can do is put into place, uh, you know, um, regulations or lack thereof to help support it. So, I would want to take a look and say, okay, what type of red tape do we have in place right now? Is that inhibiting? people being able to say, you know, I want to start a business, how do I do it? You know, the whole aspect of, of finding, you know, space, leasing space, you know, that's, you know, 
that's done just between a private enterprise, right, and finding a spot. I think that um, council can certainly direct municipal into creating the right atmosphere to support it. And maybe that is you know, offering um, you know, low-cost loans to the businesses to help them get up and running. Uh, you know, there's a lot of things that we can do to help that. Uh, I would love to see that happen. Okay, and what about speaking of uh, business? What about Uber or Lyft? I saw that. I saw that. Ask. <laughs> no one got around to answering it. What uh, about Uber or Lyft? In because that you know, as people say, people with the car they want to make extra money. It gives them the the chance to make extra money with their car. I'm I'm a hundred percent for it, uh, and and for a couple of reasons. Three reasons actually. One, it's uh, you know, a really nice way for people living in town to supplement their existing income. Uh, you know, number two, if you've ever tried to catch a cab on a Saturday night, or well, you know, I was going to say on a busy Saturday night, they're all busy here now. You know, anytime during the, the busy winter season or, or summer season, it's difficult and the wait can be long. Yeah. So our existing cab structure is not supporting the demand that's there, and I think an Uber or a Lyft. And we're trying to get, we don't want people to drink and drive. Yeah. Hundred percent, and and I guess a lot of the international visitors, especially the Americans who come here, they, they go, well, you don't have Uber, you don't have Lyft. Yeah. They've got their app, and they're going, what's going on? Yeah, well, and I hate to say it, but you know, Vancouver yeah. and two degree Whistler, one of the few international or cities that doesn't support it. Right. And uh, you know, the the taxi lobby in Vancouver is very strong, and because of that, we're seeing that resistance to it. But if you look at polls. You know, the, the polling always shows strong support for it. And uh, so from my perspective, you'll bring it on. I think it would help Worcester tremendously. I think it would help the locals tremendously. And anytime someone can supplement their income, I'm a big fan of that. And Larry, just to sort of uh, sum up, you know, I've, I've been asking everybody this. You know, if you look at Whistler, where uh, often you could say we might be a victim of our own success, but I mean, it's, it's better to be successful than not, I would say. Definitely. Um, but however, looking back at your time in Whistler, looking at where we've come perhaps since the Olympics, um, what do you think has gone right that you'd sort of like, yeah, we nailed that, and what is something, if you could reel back the time, you might say, well, maybe we'd go a little bit different direction here, or, you know, how do you feel on, on, the, on that question? Well, I'll tell you, Alan, I've been very fortunate. I've been skiing here since the mountain opened back in 66, and that's thankfully because my parents were avid skiers at the time, so I've, I've truly seen the town grow. I grew up just down on the North Shore, so, and my parents, avid skiers, so, you know, my time here has gone from, you know, riding up with my parents on weekends to getting my license at six, 16 and becoming the proverbial weekend warrior to finally realizing that I should be living here 22 years ago. Um, so I've seen a tremendous amount of good. I mean, number one, you know, the fact that they actually put, you know, the lifts on the mountain in the first place way back in the 60s was an extremely positive thing. You know, as we've seen the growth of the town, they did an amazing foresight when they created the village in the old garbage dump. I mean, that was you know, phenomenal. They got people in that had the right vision to build a, you know, a, a village stroll where there is no traffic so that you know, it, it allows people to roll from the north of town to the south of town very comfortably. I think they've done a really good job in developing the neighborhoods and you know, so each neighborhood kind of has its own feel. You know, uh, Alpine versus Emerald versus you know, Alta Vista, 
you know, it's been a really good balance that way. And the growth that's come, I think, has overall been managed nicely. Have there been hiccups along the way? You bet, uh, you know, without a doubt. Uh, you know, in regards to you know, things that they didn't do right, wow. I mean, certainly there are a lot of uh, things that I could point to. Uh, and I do want to stress that overall, I think the town and the growth and the, the management of it has been really, really good. I look at uh, you know, things that they have done you know, wrong, shall we say. I mean, certainly you know, the, uh, the lack of, of, of the foresight to see you know, proper housing for low-income staff, I think, has been an ongoing issue for the last 40, 50 years. Yeah, from almost, from, I mean, as a kid, I remember from the 80s that it was already a problem. Yeah, so. and, and it's never been properly addressed, and I think you know, that's, you're biting us really bad right now and if we don't do anything it's going to bite us really bad and uh, so that's one uh, two I think that um, you know infrastructure in regards to ensuring that there's enough uh, to keep our youth in town uh, you know, Whistler's always had everyone says Whistler's got a real soul and I agree, Whistler does have a soul. It's got a really nice feel, and that feels driven by the vibrancy and the uh, energy that we get from the youth in town. And I want that to to stay. And you know, to keep that, you know, we need to make sure that you know we continually do engage the youth. Now they're getting better. You know, they put skate parks in, and they've you know they're building you know uh, BMX tracks, and they've got the new soccer field down in uh, function. Yeah, which, which some say. people said we paid too much for it, but never mind. We did, but yeah. uh, you know, at least you know, but it's got, there. we've got a beautiful soccer field, that's yeah. all I can say. Paid way too much. Um, you know, these are things that you know, I think they could have done better and earlier. Because um, too many of our youth now, you know, they're getting into their late teens, early 20s, and they leave town. Yeah, and uh, you know we need to uh, arrest that because I don't want to see Whistler become a Sun Valley or an Aspen, you know, where it's just a playground for the wealthy and it becomes a very boring spot because everyone lives out of town and they just fly in for their vacations. Yeah, I like Whistler in the feel it is today, and I want to make sure that we have that, you know, 30 years down the road still. Right. Right. Okay. Well, thank you, Larry, for sitting down with us. And I, I'm going to give one more shout-out to Blends for allowing us to sit here and do this podcast. And, uh, well, as I say to everyone, good luck in the election. You all can't win, but good luck anyways. Thank you very much, Alan. I really appreciate it. The only thing I'm going to say to everyone out there is that, uh, you know, it's nice to see we've got democracy and live and well, but what will really make the difference is ensuring that you guys all get out and vote because that's democracy. So you know, don't hesitate. You know, October 20th. I don't care who you vote for, hopefully me, but just get out and vote, please. Thank normally, you. Normally I do that line, but thanks. <laughs> you, said, you said it better than I could. And this has been Sea to Sky Podcast. This is the Sea to Sky Podcast. If you have a comment or story ideas, please check out our website at seataskypodcast.com or on Facebook and Twitter at Sea to Sky Podcast. Thank you for clicking us on.